0: Well, the title of this morning's sermon is Spiritual Parenting. We're looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we will read verses 14 through 21 together. Verses 14 through 21 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We read them once together. I wanted the whole chapter to be read this morning so that we could have that context, but let's look now in verses 14 through 21. Of course, Paul is writing to the brothers and sisters at Corinth. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. As we go through this passage, take note of the family words that are used, children, father, that sort of thing. Verse 15, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? As soon as I start talking about parenting or use words like mother and father, almost all of us immediately start thinking of there, there are uh, literal and tangible thoughts that come to your mind as we talk about parenting. And for some of you, those are really good thoughts. You think of your parents, the, the kindness of your parents, the goodness of your parents, the faithfulness of your parents, and you have really good thoughts. And for others of you, those thoughts are maybe clouded a little bit. They aren't warm, fuzzy, encouraging thoughts. Or maybe you think about your own parenting, and you look back into your your days of parenting with some regret or some, some anxiety or some fear, or maybe you're right in the middle of it and you're thinking to yourself, man, I, I hope I don't mess up my children, right? If God will bless my children if they simply don't turn out like me, right? And that'll be a good thing. Well, we immediately start thinking things. We, we think we may feel fear or guilt or joy or despair or bitterness or thankfulness when we start thinking about parenting, but all of us are able to understand the concept to some degree or another right everybody has some understanding of family and of parents mother father parenting right cuz everybody that was in everybody that is in here does have a father and a mother. Okay, I'm I'm pretty sure that that's a given for everyone in here. And I think it's interesting that throughout the scripture, so many times in scripture, God uses this imagery, this illustration, this analogy of a family to describe spiritual truths that he wants us to understand. God himself is referred to as God our Father. We say our Father who art in heaven. We've already prayed to God the Father several times here this morning. It's a understanding. It's an illustration that we, that we understand clearly. I remember um, when Jay was just a really little kid. We were over at a friend's house, and um, he was getting ready to do something. I think he was maybe getting ready to pull something down off of a shelf, or he was going to run into something, and it would have just absolutely clobbered him, you know. And it was a pastor friend of mine, and he said, um, he said isn't it amazing the kind of care that a little toddler needs? The, for, for many of them, in certain stages of their life anyway, constant supervision, right? unless they're asleep, in which case we put them in a cage, right? But otherwise, when they're not in the cage, they're out of the cage. They're off the chain. They're into everything. They would self-destruct were it not for constant parental intervention. You can't eat that. You can't play with those. You can't run in the street. Like, we we have to keep them or they would self-destruct. And he said, isn't it amazing that it takes this much care physically for a little child? Don't you know that God, our Father in heaven, is giving us that same kind of constant care that we're unaware of, but he's caring for us, he uses this illustration of a father. Well, in the passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul actually uses this title for himself, we'll talk about that more uh, in a little bit, but the title is Spiritual Parenting, and we're going to look at three, three aspects of Paul's spiritual parenting. Number one, we just have three points in each one word. Number one is admonition, we're going to talk about admonition in just a second. Number two is imitation, and number three, evaluation. So admonition, imitation, and evaluation. These are three aspects of Paul's spiritual parenting of the Corinthians. We're going to see what God had for the Corinthians through Paul, and I believe makes some really helpful and clear application for us, not just in our parenting of our children, but in our spiritual parenting really of each other. As we have spiritual opportunity and leadership and influence on one another, there's a spiritual kind of influence and parenting that we're to have with one another. Number one, admonition. You've already seen there in verse four, Paul writes, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Well, why would he say this? What, what potential would they have of being ashamed? Well, even last week in the passage we looked at last week, right? Paul uses some pretty heavy duty language and sarcasm to get the attention of the Corinthian believers. He says to them, Uh, In verse 8, already you have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And he's saying, look, you, you think you've arrived spiritually. And then he says in verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak. We apostles are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. This kind of language, this kind of communication with the Corinthian believers, if they were listening at all, if they were reading this letter and tuned into it at all, is definitely getting their attention. Some of us can probably, some of, some of you may even within the last you know, few weeks or months, may remember conversations where a mother or father sat you down and had words with you. Now, I, I have had the incredibly great privilege of growing up in a wonderfully godly, strong Christian home. My parents were Christians long before I was born. Uh, my dad is a pastor. Um, and my dad, to this day, is one of my closest friends. We probably talk on the phone four or five days a week. Um, but I can remember times where my dad sat me down. I mean, I can remember one time our old brown station wagon in the driveway, and I didn't see it coming, and he had some concerns with me in my uh, my teenage years, and we began a conversation that I still remember, um, where he began addressing some things in my life that really needed uh Uh, addressing, and there was certainly the sense in my, in that moment where I felt ashamed, where I thought, man, like, he sees all this about me. I can't, you know, I kind of thought I was a pretty good kid and had my act together, but dad sees the bad, and he certainly wasn't speaking these things to me simply to embarrass me, right? If he wanted to just embarrass me, he would just, you know, kind of air my sins out in front of all the family or, you know, any of my friends and leave it at that. No, he was, he was speaking these truths to me not to embarrass me, although that did have some effect, I was somewhat embarrassed. But that wasn't the purpose that he was speaking the words to me. He was speaking the words to me to admonish me, and this is why Paul is speaking these words to uh, to the Corinthians, not to make them ashamed. These verses are given to promote realism in the thinking of the Corinthians, not low self esteem. Paul has and will say some very hard things, some very strong things to the Corinthian believers. In fact, if you look in chapter 5, the first verse there, he goes into some really confrontational things. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. Okay, so like he is confronting incestuous relationships right there in the church. This is the kind of conversation that would make one blush. But this isn't his point to simply embarrass. He wants to admonish. And it's, his admonition is not to embarrass, uh, but it, it, and it's also motivated by love. He says, as my beloved children, he's using simile here, he says, as though you were my own literal physical children. Fatherly affection is what we're supposed to understand here. And for those in this room who may not understand clearly, because not everyone grows up in a home No one grows up in a home in which their father loves them perfectly, but many grew up in homes that don't understand this very well at all. And so I would encourage you to find your understanding of fatherly love, obviously in the scriptures from God the Father. But I think even those of us who didn't understand, who didn't grow up in strong godly homes in which they had a father who loved them appropriately, I think we still understand what appropriate and right fatherly affection is. And so In these words, as my beloved children, we need to hear a kind and loving voice from Paul. Paul has some difficult things to say, but his love for the Corinthian believers is what is motivating his rebuke. Love is the only appropriate motivation for admonition and rebuke and confrontation. I've met some people who love confrontation, more than they love the person that they're confronting, right? Like they just kind of like being right and like identifying sin in other people. And so, man, they just they're coming after you. And I, you know, I've been confronted by people like that before, and I just think, whoa, whoa, wait a second. I, you know, um, you're you do you love me? Do you care about me? I remember the first time a peer, a friend of mine, lovingly confronted me. I, I'd never experienced anything like that before. Where One of my closest friends came to me, and I knew he loved me. He didn't even have to start the conversation with, hey, I love you, and I want to share something with you. He just went right after something in my life that was sin. And honestly, it was years ago. I don't even remember what it was. I just remember thinking, I can't believe he's saying this to me. I thought he was my friend. And then thinking a little while later after the conversation, he's exactly right. And he loves me in a way that none of my other friends have ever demonstrated love to me before. And he's actually, to this day, one of my very closest friends. Um, So his admonition is motivated by love, as a father who loves his children. His admonition, though, also is from a position of authority. We see this here in verse um, 15. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I have become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The word guides there is referring to a guardian. This was, in Paul's culture, would have been a slave most likely who was, get, who was owned by the family to look after the children. They would escort children to school and they were kind of a constant daycare for the wealthier in the society. So the slaves were these guardians for the children at home. And and what Paul is saying is you you've got many people who kind of oversee and look out for your spiritual well-being. But just like a child may have a guardian, that guardian is not that child's father. I'm your father because because Paul very literally is the one who brought the gospel, the seed of the gospel into Corinth. Where, where God used the gospel to awaken sinners and give life to dead people, make blind people to see um, spiritually. So spiritually, uh, they had many people who looked out for them, but Paul became their father. He's establishing his spiritual authority in their lives, and he's going to make his next appeal based even on his spiritual authority. That's why he says, then, for though you have, uh, um, excuse me, in verse 16, I urge you then to be imitators of me. Now, we see here Paul's admonition. We, we've read already in the first four chapters of some of the ways he's admonished them, and we know that there's more coming later. But let's think about for a minute about admonition, Paul's responsibility to admonish and the fact that he did it. And I want to make some application for us to think through as well. There's, there's really two sides to it, those who admonish and then when we are admonished. See, Paul isn't doing something that's only given to apostles to do. To, to go and confront sin or rebuke. Or Galatians 6.1 says, if you see someone who's overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, go to that person. Restore them in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So this work of admonishing other people when we see sin in their lives, this isn't something that only Paul is to do. This actually is something that we're to do, and if we look at how Paul does it, we can learn better how to do it ourselves. Remember, Paul does it not to embarrass. He does it out of love. And he does it because he's given spiritual responsibility for the people at Corinth, just like you're given spiritual responsibility for the others in this congregation. Remember, we talk about the one another's regularly. Well, this is part of your responsibility. So when we see sin or, or weakness in the lives of other people in our congregation, we go to them, not, not to embarrass, not because we don't love them, but rather because we do love them. And I I would propose to you that you prove, you show your love to your brothers and sisters best when you go to them and talk with them about things that, you know, maybe no one else would be brave enough or willing to go and talk with them about. We're to give appropriate admonition. The same principles apply here. We must admonish not with the goal of shaming. Right, Ephesians 6.4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Right, there is a way in which we can embarrass people, in which we can, even with our own children, shame them. This is not what Paul is calling us to do. We must admonish, motivated by love. I think it's interesting, in Proverbs chapter 13, it says this, whoever spares the rod, do you know how the verse ends, or how it continues? Hates his son. So so there's a direct link between if I don't discipline, I'm showing not neutrality, um, not even love. You might think, well, I just love them too much to spank them. No, or or to correct, or to discipline, or whatever the, the occasion necessitates. No, you're actually showing that you don't love. In fact, you're showing that you actively hate by not disciplining appropriately. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. We must understand that admonition correction rebuke is a responsibility it's a responsibility for brothers and sisters uh, one to another and as I quoted earlier Galatians 6:1 brothers if anyone is caught in a transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness that this is um, this idea of, of admonition or rebuke or confrontation um, isn't isn't something that hardly any of us like to do we do it. To a degree, I think when our children are younger, it's a little bit easier, right? They can't argue with this nearly as, as effectively. So, you know, we're willing to address it in their lives when they're younger, but when they're older, it becomes a little more difficult, and certainly when we see it in the lives of our other brothers and sisters. Right? Because because you might think, I really need to go talk with Sister So and So. She's continuously sinning in this area. But what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Yeah, but but I do. I do such and such, or I do that exact same thing. Or what if she sees something in me that, and and immediately we begin to excuse and we don't actively love. And I believe I believe that as we love someone, even when we confront them, that if they're dealing with the situation honestly, they're aware that you're doing it out of love, right? If you if you fly in, you know, blow up and fly out on someone, they'll understand that that's just you know pride. But when we admonish humbly and lovingly. Our children know it. Our brothers and sisters in Christ know it. So we are to give admonition. We're also to receive admonition. We're to receive it appropriately. Right? And there's lots in the scriptures about a wise man receiving rebuke from other people and considering it to see if there's, if there's truth there. And often, often when we're confronted, when we're rebuked, we immediately, we immediately do think those things that the person thinks you might think, Right? We think, oh yeah, but you do such and such, or I saw you with this, or I remember when you cussed at your kid in the parking lot, or you know, whatever. And you you've got your, your score sheet in your mind, and you think, well, but what we need to do, brothers and sisters, is humbly consider the concern that they're bringing. We need to receive admonition humbly. And we'll talk even a little bit more about that at the, at the very end of this passage. So, first of all, Paul, Paul is admonishing the Corinthian believers. And secondly, he's telling them something that Very few of us would be willing to say to just about anyone. Look at verse 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. Imitation. Number two, imitation. Paul is encouraging the Corinthian believers to imitate him in his actions and in his words. See, he says, be imitators of me. That's why I sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, the the way I've lived. And even at the end of uh, the last passage that we were looking at, verses um, 11 through 13, we see some of the ways that Paul is living. And, And so he's telling the Corinthian believers, look, I want you, I want you to watch the way I live and I want you to imitate me. I want this to be a, a game of spiritual Simon Says, okay? So watch what I'm doing and and do live the way I'm living. Follow my imitation. Let my life be a blueprint to you and now you model your life after my own. In fact, I'm gonna send Timothy to you and he's been with me long enough and watch the way I live that he's a replica of me. So watch Timothy and you model your life after how Timothy lives. But it's not just his words, Look at the end of verse 17, as I teach them everywhere in every, tur- in every church, the ways that I live, I'm teaching. So the words I say, the things I do, I want you to imitate these things. 1 Corinthians 11, one, later in this same book, Paul says to the same group of people, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. So it's not just, well, here's our Christian guru, so let's follow him. No, it's, it's far more than that. As Paul is desperately trying to follow Christ, we are to follow Paul. What we, we do, what we see. We are imitators. We see this in our children, don't we? I mean, like we we watch them, they, you know, they want to wear, you know, daddy's shoes, or they want to, you know, if, you know, so for instance, with Jay, you know, daddy carries a pocket knife, so I want to carry a pocket knife. I mean, you know, it, where does he get that idea? Well, he's imitate, he's an imitator, he's watching. He's watching the way I live. And Paul was saying to the Corinthian believers, follow the way I live. In fact, when he sent Timothy, you remember he later writes a letter to Timothy and says, let no man despise thy youth, but be an example of the believers. And the first two areas he said are the the two areas he's mentioned here, right? He's mentioned his actions and his teaching he says, in word and in conversation. So word is the things you say. Be exemplary to the other Christians around you in the things that you say and in your conversation. That, to us, that word means the same thing, right? Your word and your conversation, those are the same thing. Well, the word conversation actually means your way of life. So Paul tells the Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. Paul tells Timothy, live in such a way that when people watch you, they can, they can, they can let your life be a blueprint They can make, they can build their life the same way you're building yours out of the same stuff you're building your life out of. And verses 11 through 13, remember, are still ringing in the ears of the Corinthians when he says, uh, be imitators of me. Verse 11, to the present hour we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat we have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. And again, all of those descriptors describe our Savior Christ. They describe Paul, and Paul is saying, imitate me in these ways. Imitate my actions. Also, imitate my teaching. It's not just what Paul has been doing, but what he's been consistently teaching in all the churches everywhere. Paul has been teaching. Well, what has Paul been teaching? Well, that's important for us to know, right? Right? Otherwise, we just look at Paul and we try to imitate the moral standard. See, if we just try to copy what he's doing without knowing what he's teaching, without knowing what's the engine driving him, we'll end up with cultural Christianity. We'll end up with an outwardly based moralistic religion. But he tells us what he teaches. Galatians 6, 14. Far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Look back. I probably just have to flip one or two pages. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. What he's saying there is the thing that I'm teaching to you is, is Christ and him crucified. The gospel of King Jesus, the good news of Christ. This is what I teach, and what I teach is what I live So Paul's not just saying, watch the way I give, watch the way I pray, watch the way I fast, watch the way I serve. It's not just that. He wants the Corinthian believers to know what he's teaching because what he's teaching is what drives all of that. And if we just kind of look at a, you know, follow, um, you know, trace the, the pattern of Paul's life and then try to live it ourselves, we can kind of look like that, but we've missed the engine that runs it all. Let's make some application here. we need to understand what Paul said and did so that we can live imitatable. Now, when I say that, and you think about your life and whether or not it's imitatable, most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, find that very discouraging. Right? Like if you're really honest with yourself and you think okay i I, I want so and so to imitate me, that's probably one of the low points of the sermon, right you think I, no, I actually don't want my children to imitate me i don 't want those that I would you know desire to disciple to imitate me because i because I know how impatient, bitter, angry, selfish, lustful, the list goes on and on right so Yesterday afternoon, I mean, I know I'm preaching this sermon today. Yesterday afternoon, Jay does something that bothers me, and I bark at him. I mean, I don't bark like a dog, but I mean, like I snap at him, and I say something rude and unkind. And immediately, the Spirit of God convicts me, and, and immediately I'm thinking thoughts like, you can't preach this tomorrow, and like you definitely don't want him to do that with his kids when he's your age. What's the deal, Jeremy? So, So do I really want my kids to just copy what I do? No. I want them to copy both what I do and what I believe. I think this will make sense. Let me carry on. You know, our lives are probably the loudest sermon our kids and those around us will hear. We can preach to them. We can tell them, here's what's true. Here's how you need to live, that sort of thing. Here's a little... A poem from a guy named Edgar Guest. Some of you have heard this before. I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil, more willing than the ear. Fine counsel is confusing, but example is always clear. And the best of all the preachers are the men who live their creeds, for to see a good put in action is what everybody needs. Now, I'm not going to disparage preaching quite like he does um that's what i'm doing right now um but i think his point is helpful for us that when we see someone living what they say they believe it makes an enormous impact on us so let's think about what we say and what we do for a second we say things like lay up treasure in heaven we say that but we lay it up here We say things like, love your neighbor as yourself, but we don't. We say things like, it's better to give than to receive, but we collect things like that isn't true. We say the Bible is God's word to us, but we don't read it. We say that God's will is perfect, but we whine about circumstances. We say that God is in control of everything, but we complain about the weather We say that people are to obey God, but we cheat on our taxes. See, our lives aren't very imitatable, are they? But if it was just our morals that we were calling our children and our disciples to follow, we would be in big trouble. What we're calling those who are following us to follow is the gospel and the application of the gospel to our lives constantly. Remember, Paul is saying, follow, imitate what I teach and how I live. So when we sin, which we are going to, to to do, how are our children going to perceive how Daddy sins? When we when we lose our patience and cuss at the driver in front of us, or um, you know slam the door because our wife you know said something that ticked us off, or um, you, you know whatever we do something that like our kids just saw. And, and we know they saw, what, what's next? Because what's next is what's imitatable, or is what should be imitatable. What's next should be repentance to God, asking for the forgiveness of our child or our disciple, I mean, whoever has just watched us, and then rehearsing with them why the gospel rescues you from your own sin. You see, your kids are gonna sin a lot. Your disciples are gonna sin a lot. You're gonna sin a lot. And so to act like we don't, doesn't teach them what Paul was teaching them. To run to Christ and his good news, to to model for those following us how we take the gospel and apply it to our lives. This is imitatable. This is how we're trying to live and this is how we are seeking to lead those who are following us. Most importantly, you are to teach and live what a gospel-driven life looks like. You see, we often think, Okay, Paul says imitate me, so my life needs to look better and look cleaner than all the unbelievers around me. Except your kids live with you. And Mr. Unbelieving Neighbor, who is nice and always lets your kid go to the cookie jar and lets him, your kids ride his pony and lets your kids you know, swim in his swimming pool, he looks way nicer than you. He's not sinning against your kid. You're sinning against your kid. And so you're thinking, okay, I'm supposed to imitate Paul and my kids are supposed to be like me, but Mr. Unsaved Neighbor is a whole lot nicer. And like my kids are are like they're getting the opposite of what I wanted them to get. Like they're seeing a guy who doesn't name Christ and they think he's, you know, all is well in their home and like he's living in my home. And the problem is all is not well in my home. That's because we have to live the gospel in front of our children, not morality. I hope this is making sense. It's clear in my mind, but it doesn't, always, it doesn't always communicate well. Our morality must grow out of gratefulness to the gospel. Jesus Christ lived the perfect life for you. Jesus Christ died the death you deserved to die, and Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit for you as the firstfruits of those who would later come and be raised from the dead. We hear people say things like don't do what I or excuse me do what I say not what I do. And we know that that's bad. We know we shouldn't say that. But why why would we say it? Even many of us may not say it, but we think it, right? We think that. We know okay, I can't say that to my kids, but I really do hope that they'll do what I say and not what I do. You see, understanding the gospel frees us up to be sinners in front of our children. Because we have a remedy for our sin, our children need to know the the anti-venom to the venom that's within. They need to know that there's gospel rescue and it doesn't lie inside mom and dad, that mom and dad are somehow morally superior to their children and someday, like becoming 35 or 40 or 50, turns you into a Christianier person, right? I mean, those of us who are 34 and 40 and 50 know that's not true. We're, we're a little more dif- you know, dignified in the way we sin, but boy, do we sin. <clears throat> you see, understand the gospel frees us to be sinners and, and frees us to fail in front of the people we're seeking to teach and the people that we're seeking to be an example in front of. We aren't simply trying to get them to copycat our externals. We're trying to attach them to the gospel. You see, if my children just imitate me and they look and act just like me, they just look like dad someday, they can go to hell looking like dad and acting like dad and being truthful and moral and, and you know, uh, you know, having good manners like dad. You can go to hell and be a really nice person. So I want to imitate for them what it looks like to run to the gospel. We aren't simply trying to get them to copy us. We're trying to attach them to the gospel. You see, we, we will never live a life apart from the gospel that is worth modeling. So we may say, you know, uh, so we may respond with we'll simply do what I say, not what I do. Or, or we stay at arm's length from people that are around us, right? So they don't really see who we really are, all right? Like the song, shiny plastic people under shiny plastic steeples, right? That's, we, come, we come to church and everybody in here looks pretty good. I don't see sin on anyone in here this morning. Everybody looks great. And, and that's, a, that's a very easy response for us to have, but when we understand the gospel, it actually frees us up to be sinners. Not that sin is tolerated or welcomed or that we like it that people sin, no. I mean, God. Uh, uh, Paul says in Romans, God forbid that that should happen. God forbid. A life that is inconsistent with what you say isn't bad primarily because of hypocrisy. It's actually bad because you likely don't believe what you say. If you, don't, if you don't believe and apply the gospel, you're not going to be able to imitate it for your children. And there may be some in here this morning who think, ah, you're using this word gospel, I'm not sure exactly you know, what that means. The gospel simply means good news. It means good news. It's the good news that answers the bad news. right? So like the antivenom takes care of the venom of a snake bite, the good news of the gospel rescues us from the bad news. The bad news is that we sinned against the God who created us the good news is that he provided a way back to him through his son's life, death, and resurrection. We put faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone. And God says he brings us back to himself through Jesus. So we are to live lives that are imitatable and we are to actually imitate others as well, right? I mean, Paul is telling a real church of people, imitate me. So what I want to say to you, brothers and sisters, this morning, I'm not bold enough to stand here and say, imitate me, okay? Find someone to imitate, knowing they're not going to be perfect, but find someone who regularly and consistently and, and in a public kind of way applies the gospel to their sin and get to know them and spend time understanding how the gospel rescues you every single day from your sin. Our godly Christian leaders are men who imitate our Lord like Paul did. So dads imitate Christian leaders. Wives and and younger men and children imitate your godly husbands and fathers. There's often pride in youth that thinks that we know better than our elders about how to do things. Let let, let that not describe us as we follow the, the example that's set for us by others that have gone before us a lot more I want to say there, but we, we need to move on. Number three, evaluation. We've seen admonition, imitation, and now number three, evaluation. Verses 18 through 21. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not the talk of these arrogant people, not the talk, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? So first of all, he comes to evaluate in a way that will deflate their arrogance. Right? He uses the word puffed up and that's the same puffed up that's used earlier in the same chapter in verse, uh, where was it? I just saw it. Uh, verse six, same word here. The idea of being puffed up. Some are arrogant. They're puffed up as though they we're not coming to you. Why were, they, why were they puffed up? Why were they arrogant? Well, they thought that Paul had kind of given us his teaching and that he was gone. And now that he's gone, you know, we don't have someone who's going to come back and confront and admonish and that sort of thing. You know, he's gone and now we'll kind of live the way we want to. And Paul's saying, those of you who live, are living arrogantly, I'm going to come and I'm going to evaluate you. He came to uh, evaluate in a way that would deflate their arrogance, but and also to test their genuineness. I think this is fascinating that Paul Paul wants to go to a church, a group of people, and he wants to find out who of you in here are just faking it. Like who who of you in here are talking the talk, but you haven't been changed by the power of the gospel. Now there are there are no names, there are no faces that I know as I look out in this room this morning that I'm thinking that about like there's I, there's no one in here that I think ah uh, you know I'm kind of worried about her or about him like I think they're probably they've named the name of Christ but they're not really fine. but but in a room this size it's very possible I would say even likely that there are some who name the name of Christ just like the end of Matthew chapter 7 right where many will say to Christ in that day, Lord, Lord, haven't we done many miracles in your name? And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Paul is coming to evaluate, to watch lives, to talk with people and find out, are they just talking the talk or is the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives? Has the power of God given them victory over sin? Has the power of God taken them from being a blind person to a seeing person, from a dead person to an alive person, from a deaf person to a hearing person? Have they been changed by power? Or do they simply talk? Because 2 Timothy 3, 5 says this, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof from such people turn away. So there are some people who, who have a form of godliness, right? I mean, they... They have a form of godliness. They, they carry a Bible. They have a family Bible on their coffee table. They have been in church their entire life, and they have what we would call a form of godliness, but they don't have the power thereof—the power of victory over sin, the power over fear and and doubt and um, laziness and gossiping and uh, you know, etc. Pick your sin. Put it in there. The power that Paul has spoken of earlier, the power to change lives, to make dead people alive, and to motivate sacrificial Christian living that we see in verses 11 through 13. So, there are times where we should do the work of evaluating, of looking into our children's lives or to those that are around us, and being willing to love them enough to admonish them to go to them and say, I don't know, I love you, I see what is a form of godliness but I wonder if there's power. Help me see where the power of God is at work in your life. Now, brothers and sisters, you know um, that we are not going to live perfectly and we are going to struggle with sin our entire life, but are you struggling? Are you fighting? If you're fighting, that proves that there's some life and power and strength in you. It's the person that isn't fighting at all, that isn't struggling at all against their sin that I would want to take a passage like this and say, let's look at this and now let's look at your life. And I'm not God, I can't stand and judge, but let's let the word of God stand and judge over you. Is there power in your life? We need to be willing to evaluate according to the word of God. 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says this, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It's like this. Um, I don't think I've used this illustration in here. I've used it with the teens, I think, once. Um, If I wanted to take my son uh, to become a Boy Scout, and we went to a local, I don't even know, if, You know, I'm sure there probably is a Boy Scout section around here somewhere. And um, and I thought, you know, I, I think I want Jay to be a Boy Scout, but I'm gonna go check it out some first. And I went into the Boy Scouts, and um, so there's a room full of guys, and there's a guy up front who's obviously the leader, because he's old looking like me, and, and there's a bunch of, you know, teenage boys. And, and so I just start talking with them. The meeting hasn't started yet, but I just start talking with them about Boy Scout stuff. And I say, okay, guys, I, I don't know what Boy Scouts do. Like, I have some basic kind of understanding of Boy Scouts. My dad was one a long time ago, and he's talked about it a little bit. So you guys do, um, like, you you help old ladies across the street, right? And they look at me with just this glaze in their eyes, like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, you know, like, just good deeds, community service, that sort of thing. And they're, you know, they're just, they're, they're still, they're just playing on their iPods. And I think, okay, uh, maybe I, you know, maybe they don't, do that anymore so I asked them I asked the next guy you guys can tie lots of really cool knots right I mean that's one of the things that boy scouts do you guys tie knots and uh they all look at me again like I don't even know I still have no idea what you're talking about like no we don't tie knots and I look and like they're all even wearing like velcro shoes right they can't tie anything (laughs) so I think shoot man this is not this is not what I thought it was going to be and I think, okay, like this is the, like if, if they don't do this or not, you know, there's not a chance they're Boy Scouts. I say, can you guys start a fire? And they're all immediately like, yes, we can start fires. Absolutely, you know. And they take me outside and they have a gas can and a big lighter and they're like, watch this, man. And, they, and I'm like, okay, it's not, that's kind of, really not what I was expecting, but you can start fires. So, uh, I, I talk to one of them and I say, you know what? This isn't at all what I thought. I actually, even before I came here, I read the Boy Scout manual and it describes what a Boy Scout is and does and looks like. And you guys, you don't do any of the stuff that Boy Scouts do. Um, you guys aren't Boy Scouts. Like, someone needs to tell you you're not one. And they're like, you know, I've got 10 guys around me and they're looking at me like this dude's crazy. We are Boy Scouts. I mean, we're here, we're at the Boy Scout meeting, we're Boy Scouts. And I say to them, no, you're not. you're not. You don't do what the manual says. And, they, and so I ask him, how do you know you're a Boy Scout? And he looks at me and he says, because he's a Boy Scout, and I'm just like him. And I ask him, how do you know? And he's like, because these guys are Boy Scouts, and I'm just like them. And comparing themselves amongst themselves, they have become fools. One of my fears for the Christian church today, brothers and sisters, is that we do just that when we gather in fact we even think you know i'm actually i'm actually better than a lot of the people that are christians right so like i'm definitely a christian and what i would say is let the word of god be what evaluates you paul is coming and he's not saying okay i'm gonna i'm gonna compare you amongst yourselves i want to see if the word of god has power in you that's how i'll know if you're a child of god there are other passages that deal with evaluating um, yourself spiritually as well. If you have any questions about that, we can talk, I can talk to you about that later on. The point here is, be willing as you lead others, your children, those of your discipling, be willing to evaluate them, and then also be willing to be evaluated. Be humble enough to let someone else come into your life and say, hey, in fact, invite it, ask it, regularly ask for it. I... I um, have done this with my wife and with my children on a fairly regular basis. Um, my children have not really been old enough yet to be particularly helpful. So the night I was laying on uh, Jay's bed with Jay, and I said, um, uh, hey, buddy, is there any way that I can be a better daddy for you? Like, are there ways that I'm, uh, as your dad, like that I'm, that Things I do that bother you, or things that you know aren't helpful, or whatever, and he kind of got quiet and thought for a little while. And I was like, "Oh man, I'm not looking forward to what comes next. This this could be scary." And he said, "He said, um he said, you know that, you know that. I wish you would help me find that one knife because I really want to carry that knife instead of the one that I'm carrying right now." And like I thought, whew, okay, like if that's the biggest of my troubles right now, uh, I'm still doing okay. Now, you know. If I would have asked Angie the same question about how I'm parenting my children, she would probably have some different sorts of concerns uh, to share with me at that time. But with your, let, let me encourage you, you parents and older in here, um, it is a terrifying thing to go to those that you lead and sit down with them and say, how can I serve you better? What are the blind spots in my life that I don't see? And here's what you have to do. You have to listen to what they say. Because as soon as you start to argue back and fight back, they're done. The next time you ask them that question, they think, well, I know how this goes. Last time I was honest with him, and he shut me down. It's not happening again, right? And then they just throw out a couple little, oh, you know, you're really doing fine. Everything's okay, okay? Ask for the evaluation and sit quietly and listen to them. Um, I think every time I've asked my wife, she's had something for me. And I, you know, I just think, shoot, man, one of these days I'm going to ask, and she's going to be like, "Everything's good, bud, just keep, you know, and uh no, she's usually got something for me uh to work on, so uh be willing to be evaluated. Uh, it is at times for the good of your eternal soul, and uh always for the good of your immediate family and and uh, ministry verse twenty one in conclusion, what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love? in a spirit of gentleness. It's as though Paul here at the end is giving the Corinthian believers a choice. <clears throat> Between the time you get this letter and the time I come to you, you can make some decisions that are either going to mean that I come in with my spanking stick or I come in with love and encouragement. We do this with our kids sometimes, right? All right, you have a choice. You've got five minutes. If that room's not clean, I'm coming in with a rod, you know, or w- whatever. Um, Paul, Paul is... is is motivating them, listen, you can respond to this in such a way that will bring further discipline in your life, or you can respond to this in such a way that will bring grace to your life. Admonition, imitation, and evaluation.